Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Say Who Say Pod. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. Danny, as of Sunday afternoon, it felt like the story of this week was going to be Washington came up short of the Rose Bowl, right? USC didn't take care of business in the Pac-12 championship game. They got trounced by Utah. The Huskies are settling for the Alamo Bowl. Kind of an interesting matchup, right, against Texas and Steve Sarkeesian, their former coach. And we can get to that, but a few hours after that news was announced, Michael Penix Jr. dropped an absolute bombshell that he's returning for 2023. Um, That's a a program-changing announcement. I don't think that's overstating it. It's pretty remarkable that he was a that I did not expect it. If he was going to come back, I thought it was going to be later. Um, I thought he would at the very least go through um, and and kind of spend some more time. I was that, that caught me flat footed um, that he's coming back. I, it's it's awesome for you, Dub, and I hope it's going to be great for him as well. It was it was pretty shocking though. I, I mean, I that that's as surprised as I've been in quite some time. Yeah, I uh, I was at a we were we had our daughter at our our friend's house. They have a a son her age, and they were playing, and we were waiting on pizza delivery. And I looked at my phone and was like, "What?" So yeah, I, I didn't not not see that coming. Um, Kalen DeBoer didn't see it coming. He uh, he approached the the UW media or or video um, team with his decision that hey, I'm. I've decided to come back. He said on an interview with with KJR yesterday that he basically made the decision Saturday night, and they filmed that video. Um, and he said he took you know five to ten minutes to film the the voiceover, and he wanted it to be a surprise. And they just tacked it on to the end of their presentation at the team's annual awards banquet, which was Sunday night. And since then, they've they've put out some footage of of people watching that video, and it's it's kind of funny. Like the video sets up as him leaving for the draft, right? After much consideration, very difficult decision, consulted with my family, you know, had such great memories and fun, and then kind of drops just, oh, and I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to coming back next year. And the reaction, like people start clapping, but it's almost like they didn't they didn't really realize right away exactly what had just happened. And it took like ten seconds for I think everyone in the room to kind of come to the the realization like, wait, did he did he just say he's coming back next year? So I think he caught everybody by surprise with that. When I read the announcement, because um, I did see the announcement before I saw Penix's returning, it's I'm conditioned when I see those things to believe that a player is transferring or he's entering the NFL. I mean, that's generally how those things go. Um, and <laughs> it wasn't until I saw Husky Nation, let's ride. <laughs> yeah, I did laugh at that. <laughs> Entertained the hell out of me. Um and it was cool to see DeBoer's reaction. So was it just was it just Penix and the sort of the audio visual the audio visual guys the the media the video team that knew what was in it? Did some of his teammates know? I I guess so. I I don't think he told anybody. If I'm interpreting his remarks correctly, um, and like if if he didn't tell Kalen DeBoer, I, I don't yeah. know that he would have told any of his teammates. Um, but yeah, I mean, at least at least the video and I would imagine the social media team and um, but it's yeah, I mean, you could tell that Kalen DeBoer did seem genuinely surprised. Um, and we had just talked to him on Sunday afternoon after the bowl game was announced. And he even said, I mean, the way that he was talking about Penix playing in the bowl game 
was almost like less than a certainty. Like he didn't want to come mm-hmm. right out. Like even though Penix himself had basically said he was going to play in the bowl game, that that was weird too. He was asked, so they did a Zoom for him with national media on the Monday after the Apple Cup. And he was asked three different times if he was going to play in the bowl game. And I, w- I was the first one to ask him. And his answer was like, basically yes. But I think he prefaced it by saying like, as far as right now, and then he was asked again by someone else, and he said, like, right now, yes, I'm looking forward to playing with my guys. And then he was asked a third time, and it was more definitive. He's just like, yeah, I'm going to play in the bowl game. So I wasn't quite sure what to do with that. But um, yeah. I think he's going to play in the bowl game, Danny. <laughs> it's so funny to me. Like, And I know why it happens. I know why you get the repeated questions, because it's you want to nail down the answer as definitively as you can be. It's also really funny where it's like, if I were this the right way, I'm going to get the definitive answer when it could be always like, he can change his mind in three days. Yeah. <laughs> like there's nothing. He's not, he's not, he, he does not have his hand on a Bible. He is not having to, to sign a contract right now. So like as definitive as you can be right now, it only lasts as long as this he's, He's he's allowed, and I would even say, like, yeah, feel free to change your mind over those things. You don't have to. It's 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 that just always. It's a it's a nature of the business of covering a team that you have to do that, especially because you don't know when you're going to talk to him again. But it it always amuses me. At that point, too, I mean, so much has just gone Washington's way this year. You know, like they've kind of been so charmed during this last month and a half that I kind of wonder if he was just dead set on, hey, you know, SC is going to beat Utah and we're going to the Rose Bowl. And of course I'm going to play in the Rose Bowl, you know, like at at that point that game hadn't been played. So I wonder if he was kind of thinking, well, there's no way I would sit out the Rose Bowl and maybe just hadn't thought as far as, but, you know, if it's not the Rose Bowl, am I going to play in whatever the Alamo Bowl or the Holiday Bowl? Of course it's a moot point. He decided to come back, but um, it sounds like he also didn't necessarily – like if if I heard him right on in his interview with KJR yesterday, he didn't necessarily go through the whole like formal review and feedback process from the NFL necessarily. Like I I think it came down to he he felt like he needed another another year of production that he thought that you know this was a good start, but that two full years of healthy high level play could help his stock. And then the way he answered a question about NIL also was. Uh, he was a little bit evasive in a way that that um, would imply he's he's probably being taken care of that way, at least to uh, to an agreeable extent. Well, that's that's one of the ways that this that decision changes for a college student now. Five years ago, I'm not going to say it's a different decision because ultimately, Michael Penix. If you look at this from his his pro prospects, like what does he get by coming back? Well. If he can stay healthy for another year, like I, I think that's probably the biggest question slash knock on him right now. If he's healthy for another year, is he a first round pick? Like that's 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 what I would assume. Sort of his thought process or what the incentive for his pro prospects are. Five years ago, I don't know if that difference between being a third or a fourth or a fifth round pick and being a first round pick is sufficient enough when you're Penix's age 
to come back for another year because the the development time or what you're going to it's it's best and people have we've seen more and more guys enter the draft early once the rookie wage scale came in place that's just a fact it, it sped everything up the same thing happened in the nba that when you put a rookie wage scale in place it tends to accelerate the speed with which guys leave for the pros and the reason for that is simple that you've reduced the financial incentive for them to be a top five or a top 10 pick that under without a rookie wage scale that that prospects Aaron Curry's a great example of this Aaron Curry if he comes out after his junior year was going to be a third round pick well there's no rookie wage scale he came back for his senior year he played his butt off and he became the number four overall pick it's a life-changing increase and especially for him because he didn't if he earned another contract, it was as a low-level veteran free agent. Like the only deal he got was that first one, and he did not play up to that. Um, that's that's different now. Um, it's a little different when you've got the possibility of sponsorships and NIL. And w- Michael Penix will be a Heisman candidate entering next season. If he has a year like he had this year... I. I would bet he probably wins the Heisman Trophy next year if if Washington ends up winning the conference. Like it'll be it'll be very interesting, but that it, it has it's changed sort of the financial dynamic of yeah. of how those decisions are made. And it's it's not just as simple as, oh, if if you can replicate or come close to replicating a mid-round picks rookie earnings with NIL then, you know, basically you're replacing your rookie earnings with whatever you can get in NIL. And so, oh, see, it's worth it to stay because you're going to be making the same amount of money. Yes. It's not just that. It's what you said that, like, you, you, yes, that's a big factor. You can get paid right now so you don't feel like you're missing out. And you can have a good enough season to turn yourself into potentially a first-round pick. Because, I mean, do you see any way he would have been a first-round pick coming out this year with his injury history? Probably not, right? Probably not. I, I think it'd be pretty hard. Quarterbacks tend to rise up. Like that does tend to happen, but I don't I don't think he would be. So if your if your NIL potential, if if your income potential for a sixth year was zero dollars compared yes. to being a mid round pick and at least getting a, a rookie minimum deal somewhere, if not a little bit more, then it's a lot harder decision to to come back. Um, but this way you're, you're not just maximizing your earnings for your sixth year in college. You're, you're maximizing it for the future because you could, you could get such a, a larger rookie deal. It's how old's Penix? Is he 23? I would, assume, I would assume so. If not, if not 23, then approaching 23. It's a much different pro- proposition. Uh, 22. He turned 22 in in May, so he's about 22 and a half. Uh, it's a much different proposition to be 23 years old, the returning star quarterback, potential Heisman candidate, while also making several hundred thousand dollars. I feel like that's a fairly conservative estimate on what someone with Penix's profile can can make in NIL next year. Like, that's a much different, like, that sounds awesome, man. That sounds like so much freaking fun. Like, to be 23 years old and have the world by the hind parts. Like, you, like you, that's, that's much different than, would you like to come back 
and be a college student. And not that that's a bad life, but it's it's different, man. Like if you're 23 or 24, like it's probably gotten fairly old of the meal plan and the and the financial restrictions that you're on under under the old system. It's it's just it it changes what it looks like. You don't think he's got a room at Haggett Hall? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like you would, because it's people always talk about like the system is the system is screwed up. Like I, I fundamentally believe that. Like I, I, and I think nil is a workaround, and it's not not an actual. They're not actually doing what they should, which is pay the players. But like that part about guys being on meal plans and what it was like to have your your stipend, like that was a legit part of what the college football experience was. I mean. 10 or 15 years ago and it's why when pete was in la and everybody's like oh i had no idea how that was happening i was like really you didn't you didn't know that all your guys were were living off campus he got his degree from indiana too like he he'd already graduated before he got to washington this year so he's on the he's on the matt liner ballroom dancing program good for him man whatever the i don't i don't think washington actually offers ballroom dancing but Whatever he's taking, any... it's not toward a de- it's not toward a degree. He doesn't have to worry about school anymore. Did you have classes with football players when you UW? Yeah, a bunch and basketball players and yeah. Uh, it was always amusing to me. I I was in uh one of I'm assuming it's one of the three classes Corey Dillon took because he was on campus for a quarter, um and I was I was in one of the classes with him and I told everyone I was like that dude showed up every single day. Every single day. And whoever put him in that class did that man a disservice because it was an intensive reading history. Like it was an upper level history. Like I was a history major and I thought it was a lot of reading. And I was like, for Corey could have could have chosen. I don't think that that was the level of reading that he was the amount of reading he was wanting to do, given that he only spent one quarter there. Like, I'm just I'm just taking a guess and I don't want to cast aspersions or but but I was like, I was like. Corey probably because he even said it like he left the final early so I should have known that Corey wasn't coming back for his for for another season because he walked out when I asked him what happened later he said uh the the the, he he used a different word for the professor he goes is going to fail me anyway and I was like me being the dogged news hound I was I was like oh it doesn't sound like Corey did so well on that test instead of like that man is departing this university post haste. I uh I quit on a class once and didn't and no showed the final. Really? It was uh it was geography of cities and I stupidly this was this was such a stupid decision because I didn't care about my GPA. I took the class uh SNS satisfactory non-satisfactory yeah. so if you get a 2.0 you get an s if you get uh, less than that you get an ns uh, an s just gets you the credit for the class uh, and an ns gets you zero credits so uh, it does not factor into your gpa whatsoever it's a it's a a good option to take if the if you don't need the credit toward your major because you can't you can't take a class sns to count the credit towards your major and maybe this has all changed, but this is how it was when I was in school. Um, so if it's a, a, an elective class that you don't really care about, that you don't want to put a ton of effort into like really trying to get a good grade, but you're pretty confident you can get a 2.0, you take it SNS, you just take the credit. It doesn't factor into your GPA. Um, I had missed this class so much and had done so poorly on the midterm. 
And then I think I was also covering the softball team in the World Series. It was the year they won the national championship. It was in two thousand spring of two thousand nine. Uh, I did the math, and there was no grade I could get on the final that was going to get me a two point in that class. So I just didn't go. <laughs> I freed I freed <laughs> myself of the burden of studying for a final that uh, could not achieve me any amount of credit. So I I uh, I empathize with uh, Corey Dillon's spirit on that one. <laughs> I because. Like part of it was I've been in classes with with athletes who don't come to the classes and I don't have any like I believe I believe college is is a great opportunity and it was for me. I think it's weird that we require um, elite athletes in in football to go through college, even if that's not an experience that they want to have. Um, and i been in classes with with football players who were really really like focused and determined students and my observation was that Corey was not someone for whom he he, he was going to go to class because he felt he needed to go to class because that was part of the deal but that wasn't like it, it wasn't an, uh, an a yearning that he had for higher higher uh higher reaches of of scholastic achievement and <laughs> well, I was just like Corey, man, they had to get you in a better class. Like there were other options out there. Like this, this is an intensive reading class for people that are do intensive reading. Like that's a volume that was out there, and I, I felt I, I I felt that we let him down. My only real memory of a class with with an athlete was I don't even remember the class, but part of the assignment was you know we had to like post on an online basically a message board, uh, you know, reaction to the reading or the material or whatever, and and then react to other classmates' reactions. And I, I specifically recall writing one of my reaction posts to uh, one of Justin Dentman's reaction posts. And I have nothing remarkable to share about that. It was just a very <laughs> normal uh, college class interaction. But I remember as I was writing it, I'm like, oh, this is kind of fun. That's Justin Dentman. You know, he plays plays basketball. People know who he is. And, here, you know, it kind of a kind of a, a fun little memory. But it, I I could not begin to tell you even what the – the class was or the subject matter <laughs> frankly well um, so we'll see what michael Penix has to has to has to offer the uh in his in his graduate studies but it's a it's just a i'm i'm happy for him and i think it seems like it's he's got to be choosing this because that's whether it's an itch that's left to scratch for him for what they can do uh as a team or kind of the feeling of, hey, I, I think we've got something here and we're going to be able to take it to that. It's always fun when you have a player that kind of decides that, you know what, this is what I want. Like I, he, he, wants, he wants to be, he wants to see what they can do as a team next year. And I think that's awesome. It's like, and I, you know, not to, not to compare him to, to Jake Locker because I think, you know, Jake Locker is just a very, a very different type of individual um, in terms of how he approached his football career and, and what his priorities were and everything. But, you know, he, that guy just wanted to play as much college football as he could. He he could have been the number one pick that year. You know, maybe once he goes through the process and some of the concerns about him, you know, come to fore because franchises actually like get a really good look at him and evaluate him and watch him throw or whatever. Maybe he falls a little bit, but um, he, he came back for a senior year knowing full well that the rookie salary structure was about to change. 
even if he'd been the number one pick the next year, which he was, and he was eighth. But even if he'd been the number one pick, he wouldn't have made as much money as he as he would have the the prior year, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I mean, he he was legit leaving money on the table. There was no there was no reason for him to think that he could help his stock by coming back another year. He he just wanted to play college football. Yeah. And I think there's some elements of that. Now, obviously, the finances have changed, and if if Michael Penix Jr.'s NIL money was zero dollars. You maybe he'd be making a different decision, but um, it, I think it, it does speak to the fact that people want to play for Kalen DeBoer, and they're having fun um, playing for this program. You know, this is this is a team that guys don't want to leave. Um, they've only you know they, the transfer window opened yesterday, and I mean it's just been a frenzy of activity. I think a thousand guys, a thousand FBS players already in the portal, or maybe that's just Division One players. Maybe that's FCS too, but. Um, two guys from Washington, and and one of them was suspended for most of the year, and another was a, a foregone conclusion because he had decided to redshirt this season, Cam Williams, Cam, and everyone yeah. knew he was gone. So um, it, it's not a program that, that people are flocking from right now, and, and I think they feel pretty confident they can actually uh, make it work in their favor and, and upgrade through the portal. But obviously Penix is um, – I mean that's a that's like a ten star recruit, right? Wasn't that was what Steve Sarkeesian said about Jake Locker back in the day that it was like signing a a six star recruit or a ten star recruit or something like that? Um, Penix is coming off a much much better statistical season than any that Jake Locker ever had, and and yeah, like you said, he will absolutely enter next season as a, a legitimate Heisman candidate. I would imagine the school will put the same kind of resources through the off season into pushing him for that as they have these this this last week or so. Um, and I mean, what is, is Washington a preseason top 10 team? I think that's reasonable, right? Yes. I have a feeling in the pit of my stomach though, knowing that they are going to be that high and there's going to be that many questions about that defense. Mm-hmm. So and I was, I was they gonna... should be in a good position. They like with the transfer portal and amidst all of the pearl clutching that's going on uh, amongst people who are some of whom are fans, others that I would consider toadies of the establishment um, that Washington should be in a really good position where you've got that kind of quarterback coming back, that kind of playing time opportunity that you can offer on defense. Although now they got to compete with coach prime. That's right. That's going to be a real thing. You know what, man? I'm so pumped for Dion to be in the pac 12. I think it's oh, awesome. Yeah. Like it's so great. And Everybody who's reacted to the how mean he was in his speech to the to the players in the first where he said he was bringing his luggage and it's Louie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the whole thing, which it was interesting because the people who were mad about that were not former players. Like former players nope. were all basically like, that's what happens when a new coach comes in. Um, I even saw Buda Baker with like a somewhat long thread on that today. I'm, I'm pumped for what Coach Prime's going to bring. So I I watched that video and I mean admittedly my first reaction was like damn Dion like that you're not holding back um zoom out 30,000 feet like for big picture purposes corporate boardroom cliche corporate boardroom cliche um that is functionally no different whatsoever than what Lincoln Riley did at USC last year this year 100%. um he's just saying it he's, he's just saying being very it in blunt public. Because he runs his team like a media company. I yeah. mean, that's and they film everything, and they it, it's fine. I, I I have I have zero issues uh, with that. What do you? What's your perspective on the the number of transfers? You mentioned it a thousand a, a thousand players in the portal. I mean, this is just what was going to happen. 
you know. Is it good or is it bad? Uh, I I think it's good for the guys who have a plan. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the really – it's what's kind of funny. It's, it's so different from NFL free agency still because when you see a high-profile guy, like the more high-profile the player you see – post his his graphic and his you know that being said note <laughs> yep um the less likely it is that your team has any chance at him the more likely it is that he already knows where he's going mm-hmm. so like any you know any personnel any any um recruiting staff or personnel department you know director of player personnel will tell you you don't go into the portal to get recruited you 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 know if you're a high profile player who's going to be in demand the demand already happened. You know, it, there were there were back channel conversations that you know, call the high school coach, call the 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 seven on seven coach, call his trainer, whoever. You know, figure out, hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Where, you know, would this guy want to come to this school? And and it's a done. Do you know some guys? You know, lower level guys who just are looking for a fresh start. Maybe they get some information that hey, yeah, if you went in the portal there'd be some schools after you, you know, maybe they do end up fielding a few different offers and thinking things through and, and picking their destination after they go in. But, um, you know, the, the guys who, who, who just think, you know, everyone's transferring, so I'm going to do it and, and I'll come out better on the other side without, without any real plan. Mm, then, then it's not great. Cause you do see some guys get stuck. I mean, even like Christopher Mall, who wound up having, I think, a, a happy conclusion. He got to play his, his last year at Washington. He contributed on a, a team that wound up, you know, being pretty good. I would imagine he had a good experience. He was in the portal a long, long time after mm-hmm. leaving UAB before winding up at Washington. He could have been one of those stories of a guy who, you know, really thought he was going to have a lot of great options and, and got left out in the cold. So I think you'll see a correction down the road. Like, I, I think enough guys will miss out um, – at least among you know among those that crew of guys who maybe didn't contribute or were backups and are just kind of hopeful and it doesn't pan out. I think that'll happen en- enough for there to be sort of that cautionary tale out there. Um, but you're also going to see the, those success stories, right? Every quarterback is going to think, well, I could you know I could be Michael Penix Jr. I could be you know shoot half the Pac-12 this year, you know, and then the Pac-12 use the transfer portal at the quarterback position to become a way better conference this season. So I, I think it's mostly good. It's good that guys feel like they have options. Um, you know, you see someone like JT Daniels, he, he just announced today. He's, or like, I think Pete Thamel reported he's transferring from West, from West Virginia, like his fourth time. So that'll be his fourth school. Yeah. So I, so he went USC, Georgia, USC, Georgia, West Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. Now he's going to leave. So let me read a let me read a tweet from my favorite uh, water carrier, Albert Breer. Usually, usually he's uh, explaining the thought process of of NFL like front offices or or owners like in that way, sort of providing the plausible deniability for them. He's like a puppet. Um, here's what he said about. Uh, retweeted the over one thousand players have entered the NCAA transfer portal. Albert Breer. This is a really bad development. The reality is the great majority of FBS football players aren't going pro. And so there will be a lot of kids who've been to three or four schools and wind up with no degree. Someone should get a handle on it. And my initial thought was, aren't there a lot of guys that go to one school and never transferred that 
don't end up with a degree. Is, like, there, any, it, is there anything to suggest that transfer proliferation is leading to decreased graduation rates? Right. Like that. And then the other thing is, why do we, why do we care if a kid goes to three or four schools? Like he, he might end up not liking it, but that's, that's up to him. Like maybe he wants to find his fit at a couple at different spots and he wants to sort of, it doesn't work and he doesn't want to just settle there because honestly, like there's some guys that get recruited on top of, and they never get on the field by staying put either. So it's, it's always funny where I was like, this isn't what he's saying. Isn't about, advocating for the players it's about advocating for the system as it was as opposed to what it's going to become because it is changing that that kind of thinking also doesn't account for how you know what percentage of those players did not make the decision to go in the transfer portal but were told hey bud you're a fourth year another part you're a fourth year junior and you're still third string um we can't make you leave but you are not going to play next year We'll do everything we can to help you find a new home. I, I'd suggest you, should, you, you know, if you want to keep playing college football, you should probably do it somewhere else because that happens yeah. everywhere. Yes. Now the, yes. the, you know, the Deion Sanders this year, Lincoln Riley last year, Kalen DeBoer last year, if he'd wanted to, maybe they did in a couple instances. I don't know. We discussed before there is that rule. There is an NCA rule where uh, first year head coaches can you know, tell scholarship players to, to leave basically and, and can process them out of the roster. So, so lame. That happens that, too. <laughs> that is, that is the worst. I, and maybe, maybe I'm being hypocritical cause I'm like, I don't care if players transfer. So maybe I should like the flip should apply and I shouldn't care if a coach like dispatches a player says, Hey, we don't need him. Like what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I, I do. Maybe maybe it's my holding on to the vestiges of it. If you offer a kid a scholarship and he doesn't flunk out of school, like he should get the right to keep that scholarship for four or five years. I th- I I think they might have to continue their aid if they if they so choose. But why would you so choose? You yeah, know? yeah. Well, if you get the right to continue, I mean, getting kicked off the team because that's if they, like if the- they continue the aid, like it's. you're still fulfilling your financial obligation to the the player but you're you're clearing their scholarship off your books and and not allowing them to continue playing football for you which again happens everywhere every year in every program no matter how long the coach has been there it's just unofficial right um so i like i i see the thousand guys in the in the portal and that's not a thousand guys just deciding I'm selfish and want to go some, you know, I'm looking out for my interests and I'm, you know, I'm mad here and I'm going to go play. Like, well, a lot of them were, were told that that's what they should do by their own head coach. So, and the guys who didn't are also, you know, what's, what's wrong with a little selfishness during like the most formative years for, for what you want to do for a living, you know, hundred percent, 100%. There's nothing wrong with that. Try to find the best situation for yourself. That's, I mean, that's how I feel. That's how I feel about Roma Dunze right now. Like, there's a little bit of me when I hear Penix is coming back. I was like, oh, would Roma Dunze choose to come back? Or is is Jalen McMillan, would that make him consider? Because I think both of those guys have pro prospects. Like, they're going to get drafted. Um, it's really, like, will that impact it? If either or both of those guys choose to go pro, like, awesome man like i'm going to do nothing but root for you going forward nothing but root for you going forward i will be very surprised if jalen mcmillan is not on the roster next year 
Yeah. I'll just say that. Um, Odunze is going to be an interesting one. I know he has said that he's right down the middle. And there was a report, uh, by, I think, by Tony Pauline that, that said that both had given indications they're going to return. And Odunze was asked about that and was like, eh, I don't know who his sources were because I'm not yeah, – like, that, I, I haven't given indications either way. I'm still weighing things. and um, Tony's a nice guy, and I met him a couple times. <laughs> Tony is not <laughs> – his information has not been most reliable. Like, he's he's got a fairly extensive track record of making very bold declarations about what the Seahawks are going to do in the draft and it not ever coming close. <laughs> like, just being brutally off. Um, I, if, if Odunze gets like second round feedback, he's, he's got to go, right? I think so. Cause that, you, that doesn't the board kind of tend conservative on those things, trend conservative yes. on those things. Yes. I think he's a first round talent, man. And that's a position where dudes can come in and I mean, you've seen what some of the receivers, the immediate impact that they've had. Roma Odunze is a baller. Like I, I, he's, he's a really good player. Um, I, I, I think he's a first round talent, like it, as, as a wide receiver. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think he's going to be an awesome pro. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I agree. And, you know, I think he is another guy who, who really does love college football and had a chance to leave last year, you know, was very, like the coaching staff had kind of remarked on how mature he was in evaluating all the things that go into that. And, you know, he had communicated to them, Hey, yeah, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure I'm staying here. Um, but still came to every voluntary workout and was very transparent and went about his business the same way he would have otherwise. And, you know, obviously made the decision to to stick around and it paid dividends for him production wise. And so he's one, I, I could see him kind of falling in the, in the Penix mold of like, well, I, this was really fun. The, the star quarterbacks coming back. If, if you assume that Jalen McMillan is coming back, you know, you, you got a chance to, to run it back, right? You got a chance to, to go out there with the same offensive core that you had this year. Uh, you'd count Jalen Polk as, as part of that. I think they should still, they should still feel like they can be pretty good on the offensive line. They lose Jackson Kirkland and Henry Bainavalu for sh- and, and Corey Luciano for sure. Maybe Troy Fawatanu. Um, but if he comes back, you know, you got two returning starters plus a couple guys who played a bunch this year, like Mateo Mele and Nate Kalepo. I think I think I think you'd feel like that line could protect pretty well. So um I w- won't be surprised at all if Odunze does go pro. I think even without him, you're looking at a, a pretty a pretty talented receiver core. And then, you know, if, if you if you think you can go get a number one, number two esque guy in the transfer portal, I got to think they'll have options there based on what they put on the field this year. You, you mentioned the defense. What I've been wondering is, and you know, you're still waiting on Odunze. You're still waiting on Braylon Trice. You're still waiting on on ZTF. Maybe um, still waiting on Tuli Latuli Nasanoa. He's a fifth year guy. Maybe he feels he's better off going pro now and and getting his career started. What position on the team? are you most concerned about personnel wise? Like if, if you're to look up and down the roster and think, okay, based on what they lose or could lose, this position could be the biggest drop off from what it was in 2022. Probably D tackle. And it, would, would that just be because of losing, potentially losing Thule if if he went? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there was an awful lot. I think he played his butt off 
this year. Um, he he might be their most underrated player. Yeah, I I think I think he shored up. It it's hard to say like oh my gosh he was a monster because their defense wasn't good but I think I think he, I think he carried a lot of weight. Um, so I would I would say that if they lose him it goes to D tackle and and then corner kind of corner slash safety I tend to think corner is a more valuable position that's not a corner is a more valuable position than safety um so I, I would say it goes that way I think th- I think they should have more there should be more guys that are developing at corner like whereas a D tackle if Thule leaves then then I think that there is sort of like okay where are you going to get some of the some of the size and horsepower that you're going to need. Um, but I think, I think those are the two positions. So I, I will be stunned beyond stunned if they don't add at least one corner in the portal. Yeah. I'm not so sure about D tackle. Um, I agree that, you know, if, if Tuli Latuli Nasano decides he wants to come back for his last year of eligibility, like that is a huge, that's a huge boost. That's huge news um, for their defense. That would be you would return both of your starters at D tackle, uh, assuming that Fatui Tuatele isn't going anywhere, um, and all of your depth because they don't have any seniors there. But that's what kind of gives me pause on would they go to the portal? Because even if you lose Tuli, so you're signing two 2023 prospects: mm-hmm. um, Anthony James the second, who's a four-star guy, and then Alinius Davis. You would look at at least the possibility of returning all of Fatui Tuatele, Void Tanufi, Alumu Ale, Jacob Bandis, Javon Parker, Armand Parker, and Siausi Finau. And that those are all scholarship guys. So you could have like a pretty full room bodies wise. Mm-hmm. Look, if if a experienced proven D tackle is in the portal and is interested in Washington, like you don't just turn away and say, no, nah, we're good because of the bodies. If you if you got someone who you feel like is starter caliber or rotation caliber, like he's always worth looking at. I just feel like they probably like the depth there enough, one. And then two, that's such a competitive position in the portal. Like it's yeah. it's obviously competitive and and um you know, very very uh the the talent there is limited. The bodies there are limited coming out of high school, especially in this part of the country on the West Coast, there just are not a lot of really talented D tackles who have the size that you see in the SEC, um, but in the portal, you know it's it's right behind quarterbacks. You know those are those game changing D tackle types are really hard to find, and so they end up you know going to the gravitating to the same programs that dominated high school recruiting. So I think the combination of those two things might lead them to to kind of feel like you know let's just let's just go with what we've got, um, but. You know, you you never know who's going to come available either. So, I like I I think I think the secondary, especially corner, is the absolute highest priority in the to address in the transfer portal. They're going to sign four high school defensive backs. You know, assuming they don't have any flips or anything like that. Maybe five, even if if Caleb Presley flips from Oregon, he did visit uh, Washington last weekend. Our Rainier Beach corner, right? Yeah. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, I I think. How about the Ducks? The Ducks have got a lot of dudes in the portal. Yeah, but then a lot of dudes in the portal. That's all, that's another case though of are those guys they were 
counting on yeah. you know being starters for them who are leaving or are those guys who are kind of reading the writing on the wall? <laughs> the guys who are like from Dazed and Confused. Are are you too young for Dazed and Confused? I'm familiar. So I feel like it's like enough of a cultural literacy thing that I'm familiar with a bunch of the references, but I've never actually seen it. I love that movie. Um, there's a junior high teacher, the eighth graders who are a, a, a major uh, plot line in the movie is the fact that the seniors uh, beat on the eighth graders with wooden paddles. <laughs> like just catch up to them and just wail on them for a little while. <laughs> and the eighth graders to avoid said beating uh, request that their junior, their eighth grade teacher let them leave a little bit early to get a jump start. <laughs> he says to him, he goes, he goes, man, <laughs> it's like my commander said, we're going out into the jungle. 24, you're going out there. 12 of you ain't coming back. <laughs> That's always what I imagine when there's like all of a sudden, like there's 12 guys in the portal from one team. And it's like, yeah, somebody got told that those, those are the 12 that aren't coming back. I mean, one of like Byron Cardwell, uh, talented running back, Washington recruited in the, uh, it's a 2021 class, but you know, they, they added a couple transfers ahead of him and I think he was hurt too. Um, it's like that, you know, that's a guy who, yeah, you're probably looking at who Oregon's got at running back and yeah, maybe I'm better going off somewhere else to play. Justin Flo, who was a top five prospect in the 2020 class, uh, hard hitting linebacker. Who's got like some of the scariest high school tape you've ever seen. Um, he's in the portal, uh, didn't have the impact in his first two years there. Also battled some injuries that I think a lot of people hoped he'd have. Jay Butterfield, who was their third-string quarterback. So, you know, it's it's some guys who, you know, maybe things didn't quite go the way that people were projecting for them as recruits. And then, like, I think Dante Thornton, the receiver. Uh, yeah, so... It's a, a number of guys who like you, you see the names and you're like, oh, wow, that, you know, there was a time when anybody would have wanted him. And maybe that's still, you know, maybe the market is still going to be going to be high for those guys. But I don't, I don't know that they're quite losing, you know, a, a bunch of a bunch of top line starters who they were going to be really depending on next year. I'm, Stanford's lost like 16 guys to the portal. I think I saw and we've discussed before. They don't really have a way to replace them. So I don't like I don't know what they do to fill out their roster. Do they just take. 40 high school guys or or what? I don't, I don't know. Maybe they got a rugby team there. Uh, you might have to get some guys that are already in school because it's hard to get in there. That's true. Yeah. Who's going to be their coach? Yeah. I don't know. A guy that I know, uh, a guy that I know who has worked sort of on the, on the analytics side of things, uh, both at the college and pro level, uh, big advocate for Greg Roman. Uh, who's the Ravens hmm. offensive coordinator and had been the offensive coordinator at Stanford under uh, Harbaugh, which if, if Stanford got Greg Roman, like I'm not sure how he'd recruit, but he'd probably be the best case scenario for them from an on-field perspective. Um, he's a really smart guy, understands the run games that sort of, cause Shaw's, lineage goes back to the that harbaugh era that'd probably be the best hire that they could make recruiting is interesting at stanford because it's not the same pitch no and and your your pool is so is so limited it's weird because like you're like we've said before you're you're always going to have 
those handful of really good players who you're going to get because they they are very invested in academics. They want to go to Stanford. Um, but the overall pool of players available to you is very small. So, like, I'm, I mean, you look at the you look at the recruiting rankings. Like, Stanford has talent on its roster. At least they did. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a lot of it's in the transfer portal now. We're playing for USC. Um, but you know they that, they signed some da- dudes. Yeah, Dave Wyman's assessment always is an institutional lack of speed. Christian, I don't know. They've had some guy. Christian McCaffrey was fast. He was fast. Uh, EJ Smith was fast. Yes, get healthy on the edge, like on the edge. Yeah, defensive ends. Though I guess Solomon Thomas was there. Well, Solomon they, Thomas wasn't um, slow. They signed a. They signed one of the top edge rushers out west in the the twenty twenty two class, David Bailey, uh, who was a uh, or was he twenty twenty one? But anyway, he could have gone. He could have gone basically anywhere. He went to Stanford. So like he's he he's kind of exactly that guy I'm talking about. Who's uh, you know California guy offers from everywhere. Modern day even you know usually you'd say that guy's bound for for USC, but um, he was a top uh, top seventy recruit by the composite fifth overall prospect in California, and he went to Stanford. Played his, played a bunch as a true freshman. Might have been their best defensive player this year. He was the one who uh, you remember the first time the Huskies tried that that uh, throw that reverse throwback screen to Jalen yes. McMillan with like the entire offensive line blocking in front of him, and he only yes. got like six yards out of it. Correct. That was yes. David. That was David Bailey who broke through that phalanx to uh, to bring him down. <laughs> Pretty good play. Pretty good play. It's a funny thing when you move all of the big fat guys out away from where they usually are. They're they're sometimes not quite as nimble as you'd like. Yeah. No, when they're blocking for Michael Penix Jr. That's true. He's just so he's so elusive in the open field. Um we've gone we've gone now about forty minutes without me complaining about USC. Can we can we can we address that? <laughs> you got what you wanted. Big picture I did not. wise. I was I was I was unsatisfied. I rooted for USC. I sullied myself by rooting for USC. <laughs> I I cheapened myself by cheering for usc and how did they reward me with an absolute no show in the second half absolute no show that was pitiful that was so that was a sorry and the only the only redeeming thing well there's two redeeming things uh but the 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 only solace that i could offer myself is that at least it confirms what i always suspect about usc which is that like you know the the x-ray that they show where you've got that dog that he's got that dog in him like their dog is napping like their dog their dog doesn't have a full 3 hours of fight like the usc dog is a little lapdog by the by the third and the fourth quarter um and then they didn't win the conference which i all in all i I respect that. Like I, I would, I would prefer that neither USC nor UCLA win the conference in these last uh, two seasons before we kick them the hell out. Um, what did you think of Caleb Williams' performance? Because I, I thought he actually like. There were some people talking about, oh, like this is the Heisman winner. Really, I, I thought he he gutted through a what looked like a a, a pretty significant injury and actually He's like made some hurt. plays. Yeah, and he he laid it on the line. It's. It's weird how people evaluate college quarterbacks like Caleb Williams. And and that is 
somebody who sort of plays some sandlot football, right? Like that it's not that Caleb Williams can't throw the ball. He's got a hell of an arm. But part of Caleb Williams' game is is making things happen. And there's a a long line of quarterbacks who've been really good at doing that. Um, Johnny Manziel, Tim Tebow, like that. Like you can be – but when those guys don't have a great game or their team doesn't win, people like turn on their performance so – like it's – and maybe it's because the passing yards aren't there. But – so – if UW loses a game where Michael Penix throws for 380 yards, like the explanation afterwards is like, well, you know what? Like he did everything he could. Like Caleb Williams did everything he could in that game. Like Caleb Williams did as much to carry a team as a football player can do. And they were getting the snot beat out of him. And he was getting hammered and he kept going. And then at the end, people were like, I'm, I'm just not impressed. And it's that has to do with the way the type of quarterback he is, not the kind of game he played. Yeah. I mean, he, there was a point there where they, it sure seemed like Utah had control and ultimately they did, but they, he, he threw a, he threw a couple, you know, really, really tough throws to get him in the end zone. And isn't it always funny to you when you see SC's defense just get bludgeoned? Yeah. It, Cause it always seems like that shouldn't be the, that should, just ever. shouldn't ever be the case ever. And and when it happens and you're watching it, like, I <laughs> hats off to Utah, man. The tough nosed team, but it's always when when I watch a USC team kind of kind of get bludgeoned like that. I was like, I yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if you got the right guy calling play on that side of the ball. Utah just does their thing, don't they? They do, man. <laughs> they just keep and they're always so physical. Um. Yeah, I. What's the the phrase is the onomatopoeia is something that sort of is. It sounds like what it is, right? Like like a word like greasy, like where it sounds like what it is. Kyle Whittingham, like Kyle Whittingham's team plays like he looks. Like there's <laughs> like, if you took a look at him and you're like, what do you think this guy's team plays like? You'd be exactly right. Yes. <laughs> Like he gets out there like the freaking marble man peels off his he's he's wearing no shirt with like a, a, a he's got abs and and jeans on while he splits wood like that's how his team plays. Uh, I preface this by saying I I don't care at all about the profanity, um, but the maybe maybe Caleb Williams might reconsider next year the the um, painting his nails to demean the opponent before each game yeah when that comes out and they realize what you're doing like this is all those things are fun when you're winning like and when you lose you're gonna you you have to hear about it exactly that's that's just like you have to hear about it like and you've got to sit there and and take it and don't want to hear any sort of if you're gonna stunt when when it turns around and you and you lose, you've got to absolutely sit there and take it. Yeah, you get to listen to Cam Rising make fun of you in his press conference. <laughs> Which, yeah, and, and you saw the you saw the high and the low of that in a six day span because he did the same thing before the Notre Dame game Notre Dame. and yeah. went out and played like the Heisman Trophy winner. And it was you know 
oh look at yeah, look at what he painted on his nails like oh it's badass you know he showed them whatever and yeah when you lose it's mm, it, you, know, you get made fun of those guys get paid too actually that's kind of not true <laughs> well maybe a little true now some of them do slightly yeah there was are you familiar with the ufc fighter uh jorge masvidal uh only only his name so his his nickname is Gamebred. Uh he did he, he rose to prominence first with bare knuckle fighting. He is he is one of the sort of more like he's got the there's an honor to this fighting game and sort of what you can and can't do. He had a fight against a guy named Ben Askren and Askren is kind of a nettlesome trash talker. Like he's the kind of guy that has little smart aleck things to say and like will never shut up. And he kept he refused to call him Jorge. Kept calling him George, like all of these different in the lead up to their fight. And then when the fight started, Askren is a wrestler, so he went to to shoot. Like he went for a takedown, and Masvidal, like anticipating that, pivoted to the side and kneed him in his head. And it was about as fast and as vicious a knockout as you can possibly have in an MMA fight, where like it was clear that. Uh, Askren was unconscious like and the fight was done like there was no like it was and it was like eight seconds and as Askren was laying on the ground uh Masvidal like got kind of on the ground right next to him and he's just screaming at him and then proceeds to turn over like he's going to sleep like with his hands like a little angel like like as he's going down um and he was asked about it later and and uh Masvidal's point was he's like well so let me get this straight. Like he can say anything he wants up to two, three weeks before the fight. He can talk about anything he wants to about me. And then once we fight and I knock him out, I, I, I can't say anything to him. He's like, no, that's not right. Like you, you run your mouth and that's what happens is that somebody's going to come by and they're, they're going to be real about it. And it's not over for him because every time I see him, I'm going to talk to him because I don't like him. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of right. Like you, you started it and you don't get to say, okay, okay. Now that it's, now that it's over and I didn't win, it's, it was just all fun and games. Right. And I was like, well, no, some people, for some people, it's not like that. Um, we have breaking news from the PAC 12 office. Uh, performance uh, awards are out. Ooh, do we got Michael Penix jr. As offensive player of the year? Uh, no. Duh, they gave it to Caleb Williams? They did. Deservedly so, I think. Um, he's also the yeah. first team quarterback. So, uh, on the first team... Well, but... I mean, he is going to the school that's leaving, though. So they did put the UCLA and USC guys on it? There do, there do not appear to have been any shenanigans, no. Ah! We're such a soft conference. <laughs> um, Kalen DeBoer and Jonathan Smith are co-coaches of the year. Okay. Uh, first time in conference history, excuse me, fifth time in conference history that two coaches have shared the Coach of the Year award. Yeah, um, I wouldn't expect anything different from a conference that names 10 first-team <laughs> basketball players. Those would have been uh, one and two on my ballot. I didn't have to decide, so I didn't. You know what? Hey, who votes on this? The coaches. Shared shared stuff is is BS. Like, that's lame. You should You should name one. That's lame, man. Yeah. 
I mean, no. if, if they got equal votes, though, what do you do? Well, have them rank them. Have them rank them like the top three. Like they shouldn't. You shouldn't finish tie. Like we we live in a system. Like you got twelve coaches. You can get them on the phone and have a tiebreaker. <laughs> like you can figure that out. We live in a society. Yeah, like there's. I mean, seriously, like we've we've got the ability to be able to break a tie instead of just like oh everybody gets an award. You will be similarly upset to learn there are six offensive linemen voted to the first team. Yeah. Uh, so Romo Dunze is a first team receiver. Mm-hmm. Jackson Kirkland uh, is first team for the third time in his career. Uh, Michael Bennix Jr. is the second team quarterback. Troy Fautanu is a second team offensive lineman. Um, Braylon Trice and Jeremiah Martin, both first teamers uh, on the on the Good first team defense. They were third and fourth in the conference in sacks, I think, uh, along with Layatu Latu, by the way, also a first teamer, and Jackson Sermon. So, good some, for Jackson. Some Washington representation there. Further, uh, Alex Cook also second team second good team safety, and Peyton Henry second team kicker. Do you want to yeah, know Peyton Henry? Do you want to know Washington's uh, honorable mentions? Sure. Henry Bainavalu, Cam Bright, oh, okay. Corey Luciano, Jalen McMillan, mm-hmm. Wayne Talapapa, Zion Tupuilafatui, Alfonso Tupatala, and Asa Turner. Sounds like great representation. I don't have any real complaints. Yeah, I don't know. I that do it, wonder. I, do you think this was? Do you think this was Jackson Kirkland's best year? It's hard to say. I'm so like I'm so hesitant to evaluate offensive linemen. Yeah. Um, I know he was really good at guard in 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they moved him to tackle. I mean, he was first team during the COVID year, but that kind of doesn't really count. Yep. I'm sure he would say that that he didn't love the way he played last year, and he was he was first team. I mean this this might have been, yeah. I think he was their lineman of the week a couple times. I feel like he had a couple games where he graded out uh, pretty well by PFF. But I would yeah. I mean I I would leave that up to Scott Huff probably. I would take his word over mine. Uh, and then Fautanu is a does he is he a sophomore? He is a fourth year sophomore. Yeah. So okay. he's like same same as like Dylan Morris. Okay. Do years mean anything anymore? Yeah. Um kind of. There was one instance of a guy who played four full seasons. I think not counting the COVID year, and was still granted an extra year because like one of the years he came back early from an ACL injury and didn't like play up to standard or something. And so they gave him another year. Britain which Covey? Was, it was not Britain Covey, <laughs> who I will always say still had a year left. Still had a year left. Um, if there's one, if there's one snub uh, on this, on this all pac 12 team, it's Jalen McMillan, not making second team. Yep. The pac 12 only had four thousand yard receivers this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, McMillan is the only one of them who who didn't make at least second team. Uh, or no, excuse me, Jacob Cowing didn't either. Wow, Jacob Cowing didn't make either team. That's incredible. That who are the receivers then? Well, it's Odunze and and Jordan Addison for USC. Right. He was very good. Um, then the UCLA dude. And no, not not Jake Bobo either. Really? Uh, Dorian Singer, another Arizona receiver who's in the transfer portal, by the way. So Dorian Singer led the Pac-12 in receiving yards 
with uh, 1,105. So it's Singer and then Troy Franklin on the second team. Troy Franklin has 867 yards and eight touchdowns. Jalen McMillan has 1,040 yards and eight touchdowns. That's not a great that was those are mistakes. Um Yeah, that wide receiver list isn't great. Yeah, that's it. I would have thought Jacob Cowing would make it for sure. Well, I guess his yeah. production tailed off a little bit. He caught 85 passes. Yeah. yeah hmm. And then I I'm I'm not sure. Did you put Bell on there above Bobo? Uh Am I just biased because I watched Bobo destroy the University of Washington? Let's see. Bobo finished with 54 catches for 789 yards and seven touchdowns. I mean, like, Troy Franklin had a really good year. Is, is good. I mean, the, the production just wasn't the same as, as uh, Cowing or, yeah. or Jalen McMillan. That's interesting. Like, Jordan Addison won the Bolitnikoff last year. So if you're if you're voting, hey, who are the best receivers? Well, the guy who literally won the award for best receiver in the whole country last season is pr- probably going to get some votes. Um, but he didn't quite have the statistical profile. Some other guys. He also was hurt. He missed a game or two games, I think. Well, they should have just had three receivers on there if they had six linemen. Yeah, it is a little odd to still only name two first team receivers, isn't it? It's great. It's how it should be. In, unless you're going to eliminate the tight end, two two running Which backs. Maybe they did two running backs and two receivers on the first. Like, is that is that representative of the way college football is played? Uh no, no. It's it's one running back. No, most are. I mean, I don't even know is is tight tight ends not in a base formation. I would say three wide receiver, like is is more of a base formation now than including a tight end. Uh, another strange... So Damian Martinez is the other first-team running back with Zach Charbonnet. He had a really good year. Uh, he's, he's also the freshman of the year, which makes sense. 970 yards and seven touchdowns. But Zazavian Valade ran for almost 1,200 yards and 16 touchdowns for Arizona State. He's on the second team. That's not his fault he plays for Arizona State. Yeah. Yeah, it's not his fault, but... This might be that bites. Martinez is a really good running back. He's really good. I've got good. no complaints. I, I've got no complaints with him being on there. No, he's going to be, he's going to be a problem uh, for the Pac-12 for sure. He was my. Uh, I'm proud to say I picked him as my impact freshman before the season. There you go. I'd say he had an impact, Danny. Yeah, he impacted. <laughs> uh, what, next time are we going to preview Sark and how? I'm actually, I'm, I kind of, I like Sark again. I yeah. didn't know if I'd ever come around. I've come around to liking Sark again. Yeah, they, uh, they had a really interesting season. Disappointing, obviously, by Texas standards, but like. It's always disappointing by Texas. Although, <laughs> that's actually a problem with the standards. Like, there's no bigger disconnect in college football than the, how Texas fans perceive their program and the actual on-field accomplishments of Texas's football program. Greatest, greatest gap in the entire country in that regard. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you, we can get into it more next week, but does the, uh, does the Sark factor make this more interesting to you? I already saw some people complaining about how much they're going to hear about it over the next few weeks. Um, so I don't know much about 
Sark's recent like history. Um, I think the guy's really has changed his life and his lifestyle. Um, and I think that anytime we get into situations where you have to talk about that, it tends to get overblown and can be stretched beyond all recognition for what it is. But no, man, I don't have, I don't have negative feelings. Like I, I, I hope that Sark is is healthy and 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 has a great career. Like I really do. I don't have any hard feelings about about how it went down. And mostly that's because kind of I think everybody now understands what was going on when he was at UW. Um I did not his last two years at Washington, I did not like him as the Huskies coach. Um so I, I don't I don't have any like oh I'm gonna get sick of hearing about it like no I'm actually excited to to hear from him and and hear him talk about what's going on in it I, I I'm rooting for him in general yeah I think um I think he took the program from rock bottom to a place where someone like Chris Peterson could far more easily mold it into a conference championship contender yeah don't know that they were ever gonna get there under Sark um he uh, put together yeah. some really really good offenses. I mean, they had some yeah. teams there that had just dudes at every skill position. Um, he, he, you know, he, he remade their offense kind of in the Oregon image, going up tempo and and all that sort of stuff. And they did a really good job with Keith Price, although he could he regressed a little bit statistically from his sophomore year. But um, you know, never quite figured out the defensive thing. I mean, Justin, you know, hiring Justin Wilcox was that's the thing. Like he he made some really big time assistant coach hires like yeah, he, he poached Wilcox he did he poached tosh from cal that basically got them shack not basically did got them shack thompson um, that was so that was <laughs> i i'm not a tosh lapoy fan um and i understand how the game works and that sort of thing it's so funny though like it was a big it was a big coaching hire but it was like I'll just always laugh about it. Yeah. And so it was, <laughs> I think he deserves some, some credit for getting them off the mat and stocking the program with a bunch of guys who were very um, crucial to their playoff run. You know, that's kind of, that's one of the narratives about Chris Peterson, right? Is that they were, they were never better than when they had that mix of, of Sark guys and, and Peterson guys. Um, it's honestly very much how new Heisel Lambright went where, Neuheisel was at his best as a coach when he was coaching a mix with the guys that Lambright brought in. And the same was true with, with Sark or with Chris Peterson. Chris Peterson was at his best when he had some of the, some of the talent that Sark had already stocked the program with. Yeah, definitely. So I, again, I, I think it was um, so chaotic with, with Sark those last two years. Yeah, when and, he took when he took the the USC job, like that was a gift to the University of Washington. I was I was just gonna say that that was, I think he he served his purpose for their program. I think he was the the right coach for them at the right time. Um, never didn't get blown out by Oregon. You know, forget about just not beating him. And um, really never never threatened in the Pac-12 North and. You know, I think they were they needed they needed somebody else uh, to be able to they needed to kind of reach that man. next plateau. And yeah, I think it 
there wasn't anybody who felt like they didn't upgrade when they hired Chris Peterson. So, you know, I, I, I get why people would have like not so fond memories of his tenure because every year there was a blowout or two where you're giving up, you know, 40, 45, 50 plus the defense was never great. Um, but you know, he brought a lot of, brought a lot of great players through there, had some memorable wins, some upsets, that sort of thing. So I don't think there's any reason for people to like look back on that tenure negatively. And it's not like he left Washington and, and, you know, trashed him or anything like that. No, he didn't. I maybe, maybe my own sort of personal history. I, I think it's very clear he had a drinking problem and from all evidence like that's changed for him. And that makes it really hard for me to sort of feel that like any sort of anything other than like, it's not even like, I'm glad that that happened, that, that, that he's made that change in his life and anything that happened because of that drinking problem. Like I, I I get it and kind of accept it and don't, I don't have any reason to hold any of that like against him for that. Like I, I don't think they were going to get higher than where they were with Sark in sort of with with him with with, with Sark before he got sober. Like I, I don't I, I don't think they were going to improve from where they were because I think there was a certain amount of chaos. But I also don't have that sort of feeling of like, oh, my gosh, he would he let us down as a coach or anything because it didn't i mean he caused more turmoil for himself than anyone else and that might be i mean i quit drinking about six years ago and have my own sort of history with with alcohol and and not being able to be responsible or to consume it responsibly and not being able to drink anymore um and when you kind of have gone through that you recognize like there is like that is a real disorder like that's and whatever happened because of that like it's not that he's not responsible, but it's really hard for me to hold that against people, especially when they haven't done anything to harm me. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And like, it, you know, if you wanted to look at it from like a Washington vengeance standpoint, well, they, they kind of got that in 2015, right? In LA. And that was kind of, yeah. that was the, the first big win of Chris Peterson's tenure. And of course, you know, the fallout. Kinda, yeah. That um, kind of, that's, did he coach again a game after that or was that, was he, it done after that? He did not know that was his last game there. Yeah, that was, I, so I feel bad for Sark at that point, like right there, like that moment, like dude, that had to be brutal for that guy. Mm-hmm. That had to be awful. Um, don't you think he's looking at this Washington defense and thinking they can move the ball a little bit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Cause it like, they, it, 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 all the it things you can say like about Sark, it feels like it's this like mediocre Texas team. They're eight and four. But you look at the numbers; like they're top. I think they're top twenty in scoring offense. They have a former number one recruit at quarterback. They got like fifty plus blue chip recruits on their roster. They got you know they have Bijan Robinson. We'll see if he plays. I I would like to see him play um, because he's Bijan Robinson. He's the best running back in the country, and uh, it would be really fun to to watch him in person, I kind of get a feeling like most guys in his position are not going to play in the bowl game, but we'll see. Um, I just like, they, they don't cut a profile as like this dominant offensive juggernaut, but they absolutely have dudes. So I think that's going to be a huge challenge for Washington. And, and you know, you have to factor in that they've got a, an expert play caller as their head coach. 
there's that one thing that that dude has always been able to do is that dude can call some plays. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So that'll be a fun matchup. Um, but it's like Kalen DeBoer said on on Sunday. It's as much, you know, when you look at who's on Washington's schedule and, oh, who do they have to play? Well, you know, the, the other team's got to deal with Michael Penix Jr. and Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan and such. So um, Was the last time they were in the Alamo Bowl, was it the – Robert Griffin the third game. That was the their only ever Alamo Bowl appearance. That was that was the Nick Holt finale. The end of the Nick Holt era. God, that was. <laughs> there's a little bit of like for all of the good hires that Sark made. There's also Nick Holt. Yeah. <laughs> like that's and what's baffling to me about the Nick Holt hire was that like that guy was well regarded around like. Like Pete loved him. Like I think he was going to be USC's defensive coordinator if he stayed. Like there was a point where, God, I think it was Linehan, Scott Linehan, when he went to the NFL, um, and took the job with with the Rams. I'm fairly certain that Holt was supposed to go with him and then didn't, and maybe that was because he got offered a different gig at USC, and like that was even like because Holt and Linehan were like. I think they were in, like Holt was in his wedding. Like they'd gone back to college, and like there was a significant, like kind of a rift between them because of that. And then Holt got here, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like I, I don't know. I have no idea. Like that 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 guy was the worst coordinator I've ever seen for Washington. And maybe that's because like there were things going on that I didn't understand. But like they, that offense, that defense was god awful. They weren't great. Oh. Um. Yeah, 67 points in the bowl game. It obscured, like, the, what a performance by Keith Price in that game. Yeah, Keith was pretty awesome was in that so game. was so good. And it, yeah. it, was like, it was like one last – it was his last game as a Husky, but it was, it was like he'd gotten that month to get healthy because he was never healthy. It was just, he was always banged up. He was a lot more mobile um, than his highlights probably show throughout his career, but I think he, he dealt with some knee problems right and um, – but in that it was like in that game he'd he'd gotten to rest his body a little bit, so he had his full arsenal available, and he was throwing the ball, and he he ran for three touchdowns, and making making plays with his leg, the kind of plays with his legs that he probably could have made throughout his career if he if he'd been a little bit less banged up. And I just remember thinking, wow, like this is this is the way uh, this is the way you want to go out if you're Keith Price, um, at least offensively, maybe cover up the other half of the scoreboard. And oh. and be proud of the fifty six that you put up, <laughs> and don't worry about the fact you still lost by two scores. Yeah, it's a good game. Yeah, and it's interesting too. Like RG three is is kind of had a, like a, a a fun little presence in this Washington season this year because he's been, been such a, a Michael Penix Junior. advocate. Yeah, he he yeah. coined the big Penix energy, and so I wonder if he'll i I should maybe know this. Uh, what channel it's airing on and everything. Assuming it's ESPN, maybe they'll uh, they'll assign him. I've liked him as an announcer and overall media presence. Yeah, he's he because he just says whatever the hell he wants to. Yeah, it's great. He doesn't you know he doesn't worry about being proper and he's just like he's he's funny. He he comments on the game the way that like you might with your buddies watching at home. And he was really good, really good. Yeah, player. I like him. Yeah, so I've been try, trying to maybe think about get a hold of him for a story. Um, I would say enjoy the game. There are no games anymore until there's a bunch of them. 
over the holiday season. So enjoy your week. Uh, bask in the return of Michael Penix Jr. Uh, maybe await more good news or, or bad news uh, otherwise on Washington's remaining NFL draft prospects. Either way, uh, we'll be back next week, and we will talk to you then.